Christchurch, New Malden, 10th of May, 2020. Stephen Kurt speaking on A Vision of Restoration. So when will it all be over? When will everything be put right? When will that restoration for which we all long finally occur? These are the questions that most of us are asking at the moment, aren't we? As we wonder when these changes that have suddenly come upon our lives will be removed. Not just coronavirus itself, but all the things that have come with it. The so-called lockdown, the social distancing, the lack of proper contact with friends and relatives, the closure of schools, pubs and clubs, the lack of live sport. Some of these things are more important than others, but we can still be honest about missing them and being desperate for that restoration for which we all long to occur. But when we read the Bible, what we see is that this experience of people having normal life and its blessings removed from them is a pretty regular one. Characters in the Old Testament like Abraham, Jacob and Joseph, for a variety of reasons, find themselves removed for a time from God's blessings and have to respond to this. At the start of the book of Exodus, the people of Israel as a whole are in slavery and crying out for God's liberation. And even after they were rescued and led to the promised land, God's people eventually ended up some years later in exile and once again removed from his blessings. A few weeks ago, I spoke about how the book of Lamentations reflects the feelings of desolation that this brought. Just like us, the people of God were thinking, when will it all be over? When will everything be put right? When will this restoration, for which we all long, finally occur? Often we associate the Old Testament prophets with warnings about the factors that led to such disasters. But once events like the exile occurred, those same prophets also responded to this longing for restoration with messages that promised that it would indeed happen. And When we look at these promises, what we see is that they were pretty spectacular. Take that passage that we've just heard from Isaiah. It's a passage that's speaking about the day when Israel's exile would come to an end. But it doesn't simply speak of things returning to the way that they were before the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem and took its people away. It speaks instead of an extraordinary restoration where sins would be forgiven and not just Israel's oppressors but the entire creation would be brought fully and finally under the control of God. Those in exile might have been looking for things in their lives to return to normal, but God announces the coming of a restoration that will be so much greater than anything they've ever imagined. It's rather like someone who's been evicted from their home and is desperately looking for a place to find shelter, suddenly being presented instead with the most amazing and sumptuous palace to live within. And that's because the writers of the Bible see all of these various times of exile that people had to endure as echoes of the one big exile that occurs near the start of the Bible 
when humankind had to leave the Garden of Eden and that fullness of blessings that God had intended for them. All the various disasters that occurred in the history of God's people, it's trying to say, were essentially replays or reruns of that original loss of blessing through human disobedience to God. Which is why the vision of restoration that the prophets offer doesn't limit itself to the removal of those particular things that people were finding difficult at the time. They present instead a much deeper vision of the time when God would make the entire creation what he intended it to be, removing every single bit of injustice, corruption and pain within it. And at the heart of this vision is the coming of God's presence. As the writer of Revelation puts it, Now the dwelling of God is with humans, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And when we long for restoration of whatever kind, this is the same vision that we're given and encouraged to pray for. Not something limited to the reversal of the things that we're finding particularly difficult at this time and which are affecting us, but the reversal of all of those things that are bad about this world. All of these hopes placed within a larger vision of the coming of God's rule over all of the earth. That's the reason your kingdom come, your will be done, occurs in the Lord's Prayer before. Give us this day our daily bread. Praying for God's kingdom or rule to come doesn't exclude the requests for the things that we need or want, but it sets them in a bigger context. And in a world that was broken and spoilt long before coronavirus, and a world where injustice still means that the effects of coronavirus are unevenly spread, we're being encouraged at this time as much as any to place our hopes and our prayers in the biggest possible vision of restoration, the one that God presents to us in the Bible, and which includes the whole of his creation and all of its people. We're not just called to place our hopes and our prayers in that vision, but our actions as well. Because it's when we have that sort of vision of restoration that we most display our belief in that future through acts of self-giving love. That second reading we had was from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it's most famous as a passage for being read at weddings, isn't it? With its statements about love being patient and kind, not boasting, not being proud, not keeping a record of wrongs, not delighting in evil, but rejoicing in the truth, etc. But what isn't always recognised is the way in which all of these statements are set within a really clear vision of God's future. And central to this vision is the presentation of a time when all of those things that we might have thought are important, but ultimately aren't, will drop by the wayside. St Paul, who wrote this passage, gives a couple of illustrations of this future and what it will be like. 
The first is of a small child growing up and putting childish ways of acting and thinking behind them. The second is that of the poor reflection in a mirror, and mirrors in those days weren't nearly as good as they are today, being replaced by seeing someone face to face. When I deliver the CDs of this service, normally on a Saturday afternoon, I sometimes get to see and talk to some of you who receive it that way through your windows. And it's reminded me more than once of this verse. Other people are having to communicate in this way at this time as well, aren't they? Particularly when they have relatives within care homes. They're having to speak to them very often through a pane of glass. It's better than nothing, but of course it's not nearly as good as when we'll be able in the future to meet up face to face. And the vision of the future that God summons us to is to have that vision of a time when we'll see him face to face, when we'll know God fully, just as we are fully known. And the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and in many ways the whole of that letter that Paul wrote, is that through our acts of love in the present, we most show that we believe in this future. Grasp this vision of that future that God has promised us, and we'll then invest everything we can in acts of love that anticipate that perfect reign of justice. Lots of things that we're tempted to value in the present will pass away when God's perfect future comes, Paul says. But acts of faith, acts of hope, and acts of love will remain within it. And the greatest of these, Paul says, because it most anticipates God's promised future, are acts of love. You won't need me to tell you that one of the most wonderful things happening at the moment are those utterly amazing acts of love that are happening all around us. Utterly dedicated NHS staff doing everything possible for their patients. Volunteer groups supplying food to those who need it. Neighbours doing their utmost to help those who live around them. Everywhere, a rediscovery of the amazing power of love is occurring. And in many cases, it's also linked to a vision of a greater restoration. Many people are saying that life really shouldn't just return to normal once this crisis is over, that we should aim for a much greater restoration of our nation at the end of it. Now, this has happened before. After the horrors of the First World War, there was the vision of building homes fit for heroes. And of course, it was during the Second World War that the vision came about for a welfare state, including the wonderful NHS. Documentaries about this time have even been called the New Jerusalem. But we also know that the buy-in to such visions can be rather short-lived once life returns to normal, and we revert to thinking that when all is said and done, life is about looking after ourselves and perhaps our nearest and dearest. And that's why grasping the vision that God gives us of what his restoration will look like is so important. It's a vision that transcends the reversal of simply those things that we're finding difficult. And it speaks of God's justice coming, not just for us, not even just for our nation, but for all people, and indeed for the whole of creation itself. We're still in the season of Easter. 
And the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that God's kingdom, that future restoration that God has promised us, has already broken into this world. It's fairly obviously not complete yet, but because of Easter Day, that restoration has begun. And this means, as Paul tells us throughout 1 Corinthians, that every single act of faith, hope and supremely love that we show at this time is therefore part of building something that will last forever. That's an important message to hear during this crisis of coronavirus. And it's an important message to hear at the start of Christian Aid Week. Grasp this wonderful vision of what God's future restoration looks like and it will set the agenda for us in the present. It will inspire within us that love for others that is part of building something eternal, something that God, because of Easter, has promised will last forever.